0: Let's open up to the book of Galatians. I'm going to be in chapter (coughs) 5. Galatians 5, verses 14 through 26. I'm going to read, pray, and then we're just going to jump right on into this thing. All right? Again, the title is The Christian Media and the Social Internet. I'm going to read from Galatians chapter (coughs) 5. Give you all a couple seconds to get there. Galatians chapter 5, verses 14 through 26. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say... Heavenly Father, I pray that you you would bless this night. Would you let my words be helpful to the people here? Would you allow us to leave with our eyes fixed more joyfully on Christ and his cross? Would you allow us to be able to apply uh, uh, the truths and the hope of the gospel to how we engage with the media, Lord? Would you let this teaching uh, be done in a way that edifies and builds us up? In Jesus' name we pray. Fill me with your spirit now. Amen. So the social internet is one of the most pervasive discipleship tools available. And so we have to be discerning, intentional, and countercultural if we are going to wisely navigate our lives in this present age. The word of God must govern our actions. The hope of the gospel must inform how we engage all forms of media. But today we're going to look specifically at social media or the social internet. I'm going to explain that in just a second. And uh, how we as Christians can engage these mediums in a way that pleases the Lord. So uh, in Chris Martin's book, it's not up here anymore. It's not up here anyway. Uh, Terms of Service, he kind of gives a definition of the social internet. And he describes the social internet, the internet when it was first created was always meant to be social. The government used it so they could communicate with one another. It was never meant to be an isolated thing. And so we've just taken that and it's exploded. So the internet everywhere is meant to connect one another. That's one of its main goals. Um, and so even outside of social media, the same tactics that are being used to keep people glued to the internet are now showing up in other forms of media. So we see the same kind of tactics of, you know, algorithm-type things and data that you are giving and they're using to make sure they can track you and give you things that are going to keep you glued to it. So it shows up in news articles, online, and all websites, etc. So when I talk about the social internet, I'm talking about the whole shebang. Got it? Sweet. We live in a a world where media is coming at us almost 24-7. Long gone are the days where media isn't fed to us anywhere and everywhere that we go. In this world, news headlines, election cycles, and the state of the economy can rattle individuals to the point of despair and hopelessness. We are navigating spaces where so much time is spent looking at videos and content on little rectangular screens. We're living in a time where self-glorification is normalized, where people's lives are curated to be presented on the social internet in the very best ways, the most flattering lighting, and in the most interesting of settings. We're navigating a world where dissensions and rivalries and envy and fits of rage are running rampant. These things are normalized, and these things are even celebrated. And this is not just an out-there issue. Many of these tendencies have crept into the ways that Christians engage with the media as well. Media and the social internet are designed to drag people into carnality, ultimately setting our minds on the things of the flesh. Yes, there are certainly good ways to use social media and the internet, ways to engage these mediums that do honor Christ, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but we have to be so intentional with it. We have to purposefully engage in curated ways that will protect us From self-glorification and scrolling through news feeds endlessly, comparing our lives to others, catching up on the latest slander, and getting into debates and arguing with one another. We have to make sure we are not blindly being discipled by the world and its rules of social media engagement. We need heightened discernment, heightened caution, and wisdom in navigating this. If we aren't mindful of how we engage with the social internet, disunity has the potential to run rampant in the church. Regardless of where you fall on social issues, politics, or government, 2020, that's all of our everyone's eyes just went up, right? I I just said, what did I just say? Social issues, politics, government, 2020. Everyone's holding their breath right now. It really exposed some fragility in us and it showed the power of the media to turn people against one another. If we're not careful with our engagement with media, more and more wedges will be driven into Christ's church. And rather than a celebration of our shared values and shaping virtues, we will battle over lesser lesser issues. Thoughtless engagement with this type of media will have us violating every command in Galatians 5 and Romans 12 and cause us to fall short of the command to love in 1 John. We have to protect unity in the church. We have to show the world a better way to engage with the chaos that they feel. We have to remember that there actually is a solution to all the brokenness in this world. And we have the solution and can share that with others. We have to remember that more than wanting to be right or to get attention or to feel superior or to be fearful, we need people to trust in Christ. We need people to see the reality of Christ's lordship and his sovereignty over all. To see the beauty that God has created through his word and can be expressed through the arts and through honoring and encouraging one another through these platforms. But oftentimes we can engage these mediums in the flesh rather than the spirit. We can give in to building many kingdoms on media platforms. We can trust in chariots and horses or political pundits or celebrities or athletes or whatever it is rather than the king of kings. The internet can be used for good, but there are so many dangers that we must be aware of. And spirit-empowered intentionality is going to be key in navigating these waters. And so I've got three points that we'll look through. Uh, First is the rise and prevalence of the social internet then it will be the transforming effect of the social internet and then wisely moving forward with the social internet. So uh, point number one, the rise and prevalence of the social internet. Um, I talked about this a little bit, but the internet itself is social. (laughs) It's not just social media. Everything that you're engaging with is using algorithms and your data to get what they want from you, to influence you, and to shape you. I didn't have time to get into it in this teaching, but Chris Martin's book, Terms of Service, it's in the recommended reading. His whole section on like data collection and your information, I think we all need to, like, realize what we're doing when we put our stuff out there on the internet. It's very helpful, but I don't have time to get into it, so I'm moving on. Um, News, media, articles, and journals, it's all the same. The internet is now being used to give this kind of pseudo-connection with everyone, and it can be dangerous. Chris Martin, in his book, uh, The Wolf in Their Pocket, says that social media is not a fad. It's not going away. (laughs) And it's arguably the most pervasive discipleship force in the world right now. I think when we think about the social internet, there's two ways that are unhelpful that we can accidentally approach it with. And one is an uncritical embrace. Something new comes out, we're excited, we jump in it, and there's nothing wrong. Let's find out what it is as we go along. Um, There's dangers, and we have to be thoughtful as we engage with these things. Uh, Another way, wrong way to approach, I think is just passive ignorance. Um, It's kind of for the young guys... I don't really need to jump into this, don't really need to know what's going on at all. Uh, So I'm just going to act like it's not there, it's not prevalent, and I'm just going to keep on doing my thing. Um, You live in a world where the social social Internet is prevalent and people are using it. And so you're going to be engaging with people who are uh, fully throwing their lives into this. So we have to be engaged and know what's going on with the social Internet. Also, uh, even with cautions... It's still a bit dangerous. Uh, There's a helpful podcast out there by the Gospel Coalition. It's called Scrolling Alone. And essentially it's testimonies of families, Christian families, who were very, very careful with social media. And they eventually just kind of tell their story and how it ended up not working out. These are people who were thoughtful, people who had good uh, control things in place, and yet their kids are giving these testimonies of just like, yeah, it wrecked my mental health, and I wish I didn't have it. So even with caution, danger. Is needed (laughs) caution is needed and uh, also that no one really escapes the prevalence of social of the social internet or social media because you know some people out there have social media profiles but they don't post and so they feel like they're less engaged and yet they can spend time scrolling through and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling Uh, to that individual I would say you have to realize that if you're swimming in poison the toxins will still get into your bloodstream and you've got to be careful And if you're not on any social media at all, you're still interacting with those and living in a world that is manipulated and pushed forward through the social Internet. Even if you don't have it, others around you do. I think all of us can attest to the fact that we really, really, really love our cell phones. These little things go with us everywhere they go, and they're constantly beckoning us to look at them, use them for various activities. Uh, Paul Tripp, in his book, Reactivity, says that we go nowhere without these powerful, seductive devices. They greet us in the morning, and they put us to sleep at night. (laughs) They are a constant distraction, interrupting everything we do. Our mobile devices are powerful instruments for good, but they control us too much. The prevalence of the social internet is shaping how we view our lives and how we interact with one another. And when we interact with these things thoughtlessly, it erodes away spiritual discernment, it can eradicate the practice of watchfulness on our own souls and our own spirit, and it inflames the folly of spiritual pl- pride, self-sufficiency, and even sometimes a bogus righteous anger. And gives us also gives us unlimited content to mindlessly entertain ourselves through. So there's a variety of things there. There's the anger. There's the fury that where we're going after each other. Um, there is the way that we can just not take time to just sit and be quiet. And then there's a whole other avenue of the entertainment spectrum that comes from our cell phones. Uh, The best economy for the world would be entertainment. Uh, People have figured that out. And now everything we engage with has a purpose of entertaining us and keeping us engaged. The news is less concerned with giving facts and more about keeping people engaged, even if that means keeping them angry. And it is all for entertainment. And now we ourselves especially for on these social media platforms, not only do we have constant entertainment coming towards us, but we ourselves can be the ones entertaining. Uh, Chris Martin in his book talks about, you know, the the revelation it was when the TV came into our homes. It was a wild thing. It's like we don't no longer have to go out to the theater and go out to the special thing to watch this movie. It's like, no, the TV is like, in our homes, in our living rooms at all times. And it changed the way we engage with entertainment and it upped the time spent with entertainment vastly. So the television set moved to everyone's home and now the stage that was the television set was the internet is now in everyone's pockets. (laughs) And it is beckoning them to frivolously be entertained at all times and constantly calling. Chris Martin says that through the social internet, we are both the audience And the act. (laughs) Everyone has been given a platform to perform and to entertain. And this is the norm of how the world operates. The question for us tonight is then, how can we as followers of Christ and those who are filled with hope, the hope of the gospel, right? The transformative work that we have been saved from our sins and we have that inheritance that we're waiting for and the joy that is there for us at the end. How can we engage media in a way that is limited, intentional, godly? accountable, and grateful? How does the incredible transformative work of the gospel directly affect our media engagement? How does the gospel itself function in how we engage with the media? We're gonna get to that in just a second. Preview. All right, uh, point number two, the transforming effect of the social internet. One of the main things that happens is when we mindlessly engage or even just passively engage with the social internet, uh, it begins to shape our values. Whenever you spend time with someone, an extended period of time with someone, you begin to influence one another. This happens with our relationship with the social internet and specifically with social media. You influence one another. And let me tell you, <laughs> the internet is far better at influencing you than you are at influencing it. So we value what it values. Chris Martin states that the triplet, so the three cornerstone values, what it's built upon, the triplet cornerstone values of the social internet are entertainment, attention, and identity. And he says, I think it's fair to say that attention is the primary currency of the social internet. So if attention is the primary currency of the social internet, the way that you get wealthy and use the social internet well and win at the social internet is by garnering as much attention as possible. And how do you get as much attention as possible? Well, it comes through animosity. (laughs) It comes through rage, takedowns, fear, and frustration. This is how the world operates on the social Internet. And we as Christians are also being shaped and molded by this. We are calling things common, (laughs) which God clearly forbids. We can value the viral things, the passing fads, the 15 minutes of fame. We can live for those type of moments. (laughs) Chris Martin says that we will come to think something that is entertaining or viral or otherwise popular is inherently more valuable than that which is gentle and lowly and unknown. When we give in to these things, what it does is it starts to negate each and every one of the fruits of the Spirit. You see, the media has its own fruits that it desires, and the media's fruits are fleshly. They are lust and addiction and anger and doubt, and envy, and lack of discipline, and sloth. The media and the social internet pull us deeper into our weaknesses and sin as a general pattern. Are there outliers? Sure, there are great things we can learn and ways that we can use the internet and media for good. But the overarching and overall effect of these things, especially if we're not thoughtful, is to pull us deeper into our flesh. When this happens, you can live with a constant level, even if it's just a low level, of frustration and agitation. (laughs) You just find yourself slightly irritated all the time. You regularly find yourself going off on rants about the liberals, or going off on rants about white evangelicalism, or going off on rants about the woke mob. When you have quiet moments to yourself, if you can manage to get them, sometimes if you're just engaging with the social internet, not being as thoughtful as you ought to be, you get a quiet moment to yourself, and then you discover (laughs) You may not like yourself as much as you thought. Shame can fill your minds as you've rehearsed the numerous times you've been dragged down into the sins of the flesh via the media and the social Internet. And this doesn't only apply to young people, but to teens and young adults. Be careful of how you compare yourselves as you're scrolling through the social Internet. I do not have time to jump into all the mental health things and the studies that are coming out. But it's bad. (laughs) I have have yet to find a study that says teens and young adults who spend a lot of time on the social internet comparing themselves to one another end up really enjoying themselves and being happier. I'm still waiting for that study. It's it's not out there. We've got to be careful. Chris Martin says the water is poison and we're all swimming in it and no one realizes it. We made social media and it's remaking us. When this happens, we can pursue... (laughs) affirmation instead of truth we get into these things called echo chambers where we just you know the algorithms feed you things that you want and it's just a bunch of people who think like you and we just want to hear things that affirm ideas that we already have rather than truth this is how conspiracy theories get started and people start wiling out on the internet right and chris martin would challenge us and he says for christians who else should be more interested in pursuing the real truth than us to lazily scroll through our feeds and gluttonously gobble up comfortable content is the height of foolishness and far from the biblical standard of wisdom and Christ-likeness to which we have been called. And that last sentence is important, to which we have been called. God has called us to live our lives in a specific way. And it's got to say, I mean, listen to the sermon again from this morning. We need to stand out as lights in the world, right? We can't just swim in the stream and flow with whatever is going on out there on the social internet. We need to stand out. We need to live in a manner that is worthy to that which we have been called. And Paul Tripp adds to this. He says, we don't just have a truth problem. We have a massive love problem that is played out every day on the communication platforms that we all use. And he continues, It should be sobering to us that while we decry the sexual immorality of the surrounding culture, we have permitted into our Christian social media culture many of the things that the Bible names as works of the flesh. So what do we do? (laughs) We set our minds on the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. You seek to have your presence reflect the values that you actually value. Whether it's beautiful art, health, nature, wholesome humor. <laughs> Social media is fun, right? Like there are, things that it can be, there are things that you can find that are wholesome and entertaining and don't drag us into carnality, but it's got to be intentional. So health, nature, wholesome humor, family values, all of these things can be put out there on our media platforms. We don't have to engage with the same rules that the world runs with. In fact, I would say that we are called to steward our platforms in a way that bucks against worldly social media rules of engagement. We can have and use these platforms as a means to encourage people and put on display the fruits of the Spirit. Because apart from that, there is a toxic culture of human interaction on the social internet. And it bucks against what uh, we're called to in 1 John that says, Beloved, if God so loved us, and he has... (laughs) We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Relationships are important to God. The way we love each other and interact with each other is important to God. Friendship is important to God. And the social internet cheapens all of those things. It makes friendship a commodity, something that is measurable, something that can be used to raise your value. I mean, this is a throwback for some of us, but think about the MySpace top eight. I mean, you had to fight and claw to get in that top eight space. For those that didn't have MySpace, it was, a pro, it was like the first iteration of Facebook. And what happened was there was a top eight of like your friends that are of the highest value. And there were so many fights that happened of who was in the top eight. And if you got in a fight with someone, boom, they're out of the top eight. And Which sounds ridiculous, but we've just continued those type of things in different media platforms. Even the professionals of LinkedIn. If you see how many connections that person has, their value goes up. The social internet has made friendship and community a commodity, something that is worth value, not because of who they are, but because of what it does to your own status. We mistake clicks of affirmation for acts of love. If we see something that we disagree with, we can uh, jump into it, start fighting with people on Facebook, et cetera, thinking that we are now acting as a Christian with courage. But what we've done is courage has become a Trojan horse for carnality. We just want to fight. We engage with these people not as image bearers, but they're disembodied opponents that we can take down and make ourselves higher than. Chris Martin says that we demonize people we dislike, always assuming the worst of them. We destroy people we demonize. And then we seek vengeance over true justice. And let me get one moment regarding justice in the social internet. Justice, political things, and highly nuanced ethical issues. The medium of the social internet has proven to be the worst space for them to be discussed at length. I believe more arguments, talking past each other, and the most uncharitable judgment has come from these issues being discussed on these platforms. These conversations online remove any grace of nuance and divide the world more and more each day. They are holistically unpersuasive when done on the Internet. End rant. Um, You look at Leviticus, right, and how we engage. It challenges us. It says that you shall not hate your brother in your heart. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But, here it is again, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Paul Tripp commenting on this says, Could it be that the power and character of your reactions on social media are not driven by your love for truth or your desire to expose what is wrong, but are instead driven by hatred in your heart, we've got to be careful. We have to be mindful and watchful. If there are specific relationships that have been harmed through media use that you're aware of, like throughout this talk, maybe the spirit has been rolling names over and over again in your head. Whether you've had, uh, directly had altercations with this person, or you've allowed the worldly narrative to erode trust in that person, you should talk to that person and have a real conversation with that person. <laughs> Confess sin where necessary. Ask for forgiveness where necessary. We as Christians need to be able to have difficult conversations that result in deeper love with one another. We do not write off or cancel our brothers and sisters in Christ because they're not appropriately in our specific tribe. No, we pursue them in love. Here's the reality of our choices. We can either walk by the Spirit and love each other as ourselves, or we can bite and devour one another. We can keep in step with the Spirit, or we can become conceited and self-focused. And Paul sternly says that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is most important? What do we value? Do we desire the kingdom of God, or do we desire fleshly satisfaction? Both social media and the internet have no desire for the kingdom of God. So if you continue throwing yourself blindly into these algorithms, consuming whatever the cable news or articles or journals or headlines or news feeds are giving you, you will be drawn to desires of the flesh. We cannot consume haphazardly and expect to just accidentally fall in step with the spirit. <laughs> this has to be intentional and thoughtful. Our contributions may be helpful, but our blind consumption will destroy us. Think about what... The, what uh, Paul says in Ephesians or what we read in the book of James. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only such, so it's not even just like don't do this, but also do this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of of redemption. Know this, this is James, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And why? Because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So we've got to confess, we have to repent where where the Spirit is striking these notes in us. I believe that everyone has areas regarding media and the social internet that can be changed and can be sanctified a little bit. Something that we need the blood of Jesus to cover, forgive, and redeem us from. None of us are exempt in totality from this. So what do we do? We follow the roadmap of Romans 12 where we let love be genuine. (laughs) We hold fast to what is good. We love one another with brotherly affection. We outdo one another in showing honor. We rejoice in hope. We're patient. We're constantly in prayer. We show hospitality. We bless those who persecute us. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. We live in harmony with one another. We are not wise in our own sight. And we give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And we, do not overcome, we are not overcome by evil, but we overcome evil with good. <laughs> this is our checklist of engagement. We can blast the internet with the antithesis of the toxic culture that is widely accepted. And each of the passages would, that would restrict our tongue can be spun positively. So no corrupting talk, yes, but let's put out talk that is edifying and building up. We can use our media platforms for honoring people. We can give them that sweetness from Proverbs 16, 24 that says, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. David Murray talks about Christians' media engagement in his book, The Happy Christian. He says, whether it's a good product, a helpful service, wise insight, or a superb article, praise and celebrate it. Don't look for what you can critique. Look for what you can admire and invite others to enjoy it with you. It's crazy. We can reach hundreds of people in mere seconds, even if it's just a moment as they're scrolling past. But even in those small moments, we can help them think on what is beautiful. This is from uh, Pastoral Recommendations on Social Media. This is policy number six. It says, if you are on social media... Have a positive presence that helps people set their minds on what is lovely, excellent, and praiseworthy. Aim for edification, edification, not provocation. Consider using social media to honor and encourage others. Don't use social media to process personal frustrations or struggles with others. Don't use social media to criticize or call out people, churches, ministries, political parties, and denominations. Use it for celebration. And honoring and encouraging one another, David Murray says it like this. He says, "We of all people should be able to recognize and celebrate and express gratitude wherever we find good news. For all good news is god 's news, and to ignore it, hide it, or minimize it, or distort it is neither mentally healthy nor spiritually sound. Let me hit a few other dangers here. We can be consumed with self glory. some of these will overlap, but the overall theme is the same." When we value what it values, we can become consumed with self-glory. It's like the Tower of Babel (laughs) 2.0. Where we are obsessed with making a name for ourselves. I don't have time to get into it, but it's all the same sin that began at the fall, right? We want to be like God. We want omniscience. We want to be all-powerful. We want to be beloved. We want people to come and worship us. If we're honest, that's where we are. Apart from Christ, we want and desire people to think really highly of us. And when we come in with that attitude, we are coming in with one goal and one goal only, and that is our own self-glorification. This is a bit of a longer quote from Paul Tripp, but I'm going to read it in its entirety because I think it's great. (laughs) He says this, When self-glory meets Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, or Instagram, I come loaded with my own glory. (laughs) I post whatever it is that gives me pleasure. I am not sensitive to how what I post may affect others. I come to social media feeling entitled and deserving because of who I am, what I've done, what I know, or maybe simply because of the amount of followers I have attracted. I post what will get me the most likes because I am motivated by my own glory, no matter how proud or outrageous or hurtful. If it makes me feel good to mock or dismiss, then I will. If taking someone down gives me pleasure, then that is what I'll do. I don't post for the benefit of others, and even if I think I do, every post is really for me because the motivating drive that is in possession of my heart is self-glory. And it will exercise inescapable influence over my reactions. Yikes. We've got to be careful and we've got to be thoughtful. We have to be aware that oftentimes we are a bit less innocent than we think we are. I mean, we sing it on Sunday mornings. We are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. (laughs) Paul Tripp continues. "So So many of us seem obsessed with glory, but it's not the glory of God. No, we're filled with a sense of the glory of our theological knowledge, our biblical literacy, our political conservatism, Our social action, the success of our ministries, the number of our followers, who we hang with, the prominence of our tribe, and the power of our ability to communicate. Or (laughs) we seek self-glory through simply seeking more and more attention. Chris Martin says that my fear is that our online lives have become lenses through which we view our offline lives and our offline lives are no longer primary but secondary. He quotes someone that says this, the non-digital world is merely a theatrical space in which one stages and records content for the much more real, much more vital digital space. So that comes when we post things for attention. (laughs) I think we're aware of how it works. It can be angry, Outrageous call-out posts, that's going to get you attention. Saying certain things about other people, that's going to get you attention. It's a game that many people know how to play. Because here's the reality. If you're encouraging and grace-giving, etc., you're simply not going to get much attention. <laughs> so you have to dig down and get to the true why of your posting. Paul Tripp says that for all of us, the attention of other people tends to have far more power than it should. When we are controlled by this, you can find yourself scrolling deeper and longer each day, trying to fight for self-esteem and affirmation. You find yourself surrounded by acquaintances rather than real friends. Even though you're out there putting your business up there on the daily, you don't feel known or understood, and you long for deep gospel friendship. So we've got to ask, how can God get attention and glory from us? Well, one is that we have to remember that God made the world, and everything in it, and that all things are to be done for building up. So a couple of ideas and thoughts here. One, anything scriptural is worth sharing. Again, we can encourage people publicly. We can honor one another. And this isn't just like a one post and done kind of thing. Like You can have a tone about how your media presence is felt. Through a history of tweets and posts, you're setting a tone. you got to ask, what is the overall flavor of your social media presence? And the good news is that it can be a really edifying and good thing. What a good goal it would be that if someone goes to your page and they begin scrolling through, that they don't encounter the toxicity that I've discussed so far. But instead, they see the things that remind them of the goodness of God. They see things that are innocently humorous. They see values that reflect the values that God has. And God is honored through that. One more quick Problem we can get ourselves into. Uh, Paul Tripp talks about eternity amnesia. When we find ourselves locked into the social internet and media, we forget the reality of eternity. <laughs> because social media can affect how we think and our hearts and how we feel and how we believe. This amnesia can result in fear. We can act like this life is the only life worth living for or the only life that we will live for. We forget about eternity. We forget that we actually win in the end, right? We can act like Christ's ancient promises cannot give us hope for 2023. But they do. Because there is always hope for the Christian because God is still on the throne. And he's not getting off anytime soon. <laughs> We can see that God knows the heart of man. He's not looking at all the chaos going on in the world and saying, man, I never thought it would come to this. No, he's laid it out for us clearly. He's like, okay, here's what you got to do. If you walk in the flesh, here's what you'll get. You don't want that. <laughs> walk by the spirit that he's put in us. And he will empower us and guide us and help us to live in a way that is honoring to him. Isn't that what we're all desiring? Like we want to please God with the way we're presenting ourselves. And when we want to please God, we don't care about what others think about us. So if we're engaging in that way, it's likely that God is going to give us a hey, you're doing a good job, buddy. Like, that's what I want from God in the way I'm presenting myself on the media. It is possible to walk in the spirit, and that is good news. It is possible to bear fruit that looks entirely different than fleshly fruit. Praise the Lord. (laughs) And this applies to how we engage with the media and its effect on us. We can battle against conforming to the world and can be conformed to Christ and put on Christ even, if not especially, regarding the media and the social internet. When we live like this with a desire to please God above all else, a type of Christian zeal that calls us, the one thing I want is to please God. You revalue what God values. You actively set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Again, it's set your mind, not drift your mind into the things of the Spirit. It has to be intentional. You're no longer tossed to and fro, but are mature in stature in Christ. (laughs) And here's a fun little thing. Your self-esteem skyrockets, not because you think you're awesome, but because you're now seeing and orienting towards yourself with the way that Christ sees you. And you begin to boast in your own weaknesses rather than these perceived strengths that come from self-sufficiency that leave us lower and lower and lower. You begin to trust believers in your local church as you do real life with them. Friendships deepen. Our witness to the world is strengthened because of our love for one another. Ray Ortland encourages us with the stewardship of these platforms, saying, it is good to see social media as stewardship. As a trust from the Lord, he created Twitter. He created Instagram for the display of his glory and the building up of his people and the spread of the gospel. If we receive it as from him... And then we steadily, ruggedly, and without self-indulgence, push Jesus and his good news out to people, to suffering people, to sinning people, to people like us, (laughs) and communicate how much we're in this together and how we can share Christ together. That pattern over time sets a tone, and it rallies people around Christ himself. Point number three, this is my my shortest point, so don't worry, y'all. We're almost done here. It's wisely moving forward with the social internet. Again, I'm just going to beat this drum all night because I think it's the most important thing we can do. We got to be watchful. (laughs) We need discernment, and we need to do it with prayer and with hope. And honest self-examination is key in how we're interacting with the social internet. And because we're prone to blind spots, (laughs) we also need to talk with someone else about your engagement with the media and the internet. Surprise, surprise, you are not The best judge to see how you are doing on yourself. Because we really, really, really like to justify anything and everything regarding this. So talk to your roommate. Talk to your spouse. Talk to your best friend or your siblings or your dog or somebody. Anybody who knows you and someone you can trust. Bring other people into this. Be watchful. And real quick... Can we stop acting like Satan is not enjoying everything that's happening on the Internet? It's like we believe in spiritual warfare except for everywhere on the interwebs. It's like, no, Satan wants us to devour each other through the Internet. Spiritual warfare happens on the Internet, right? So we have to bring that type of theology into how we engage online, which is why I'm trying to hammer and hammer and hammer. We cannot engage with these mediums in the flesh. We have to engage with them in the spirit. Also, don't devour each other. That's what we've been talking about in Galatians 5. Memorize some of the verses in the appendix because this is what needs to be shaping us. We need these reminders readily available in our minds as we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Get accountability. This is wild, but some of us should do it. Have someone that you screenshot and send your weekly screen time reports to that come in once a week. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's a very good idea. We have to lean into growing in humility. Humility is going to eradicate so much of this because ain't none of us all that, or as Paul says, let's not think higher of ourselves than we ought to. Let's be quick to forgive, quick to listen, and slow to speak. Grace is needed and must be the defining trait of how we interact on the internet. These texts show us that real unity can occur through our love for one another. Christians can have real genuine love. We can respond to horrible things online with a beautiful grace that is empowered by the spirit. We can be Christ-like. We can be lowly. We can be humble. We can overcome evil with good. The gospel can shape our engagement with the social internet. I love this vision that Paul Tripp gives. He says, imagine if everything from our social media reactivity to our personal responses to others, was shaped by a beautiful culture of grace. Imagine every post shaped by love. Imagine each reaction done in a commitment to peace. Imagine always responding in kindness. Imagine every interaction formed out of a gentle and self-controlled heart. Imagine patience keeping you from reacting too quickly. Imagine committing yourself to words that build up what is good. Imagine being so committed to a lifestyle of grace that nothing and no one could yank you out of it. So I would encourage us to think that way and to move forward with intentional engagement. I don't think we can simply ignore it. I don't think everyone here needs to have it or have a social media platform. But we need to be generally informed so that we can engage properly with those who are using it. Also, I think it's good to produce good content rather than simply be a consumer because you cannot really control what comes at you, but you can influence and throw things out there that can shape some of the tide of the internet. David Murray, again, is helpful. He says, we of all people should be able to recognize and celebrate and express gratitude wherever we find good news. For all, Oh, I had this already. My bad, y'all. Ignore that. So... Yeah, as we're thinking, produce good content and keep a close watch on yourself as you are engaging with this. So what are some practical ways to think through that? Uh, I would encourage us to take media, phone, or technology breaks, to fast from these things every once in a while. I say set boundaries for yourself and to keep those boundaries. Some practical ideas, like maybe no emails until you're in the office. We can so easily go to check our phones in the morning and then check an email, and then be dragged into all these other things, and we haven't sat and communed with the Lord before we've left for the day. Get rid of the news widget on your phone. That thing be attacking you with a bunch of bad news. None of us really want it. <laughs> you can get rid of that widget. Joseph Stagore actually showed me how to do that like two weeks ago. It's the best thing ever. Um, <laughs> It's not that hard. You just got to like hold it on and then like there's a big X that says get rid of it. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) make sure you only access the type of things. Make sure you only access these types of things when you intentionally decide to. Don't let information simply be flooded to you. Some other ideas, no screens before the Bible each day or no screens before you have your lunch. Phones go to the charges at 8 p.m. Or when the kids go down, the phones go down. Just different ideas to start cultivating habits that are helpful uh, as you go throughout the day. Here's the Murray quote I meant to get. Let's fill our minds with biblical truth, with the doctrines of grace, with scriptural verses. Let's give more time to communicating the truth than to exposing error. Let's set forth the beautiful ethical directions of God's moral law much more than condemning infractions of it. Let's exalt biblical marriage far more than highlighting the late latest perversion of it. And last thing before I close with this uh, liturgy from Every Moment Holy. Uh, it's that book. I don't know why I keep looking back. None of the books are up here. We gave them all away. Them all away. <laughs> uh, the Wisdom Pyramid. I think that is one of the most helpful ways that garner our actions in leaning in to media and how we consume it because it gives us practical action steps in moving forward. A lot of things are like, this is bad, this is terrible, destroy it all. It's like a lot of books leave us with, okay, so what, what do we do? And the wisdom pyramid gives us like, what do we lean into to kind of transform how we are thinking through life? And uh, Jared kind of spoiled it all for, for you guys. Um, but <laughs> the metaphor takes the food pyramid, you know, like back in the day when they were like, eat all the bread you want, the good old days. And, um, <laughs> and you know, the pyramid starts at the bottom and kind of goes to the top. And it's, you know, he's on the very bottom is the Word of God, it's the Bible. And then it's the church. And then it's nature. And then it's books and beauty and the arts. And then that tiny little triangle the desserts and the chocolates and the ice cream that is the internet and social media. And oftentimes what we've done is we've flipped that pyramid doggone upside down. And this book helps us to think through rightly and how to get that thing right and get ourselves back in check. I, uh, I would consider doing the Wisdom 40 challenge. It's in the appendix of the outline. It's like a 40. To, it's essentially like, you know, like Whole30 was his idea. It's like Wisdom 40. Sometimes you need a little bit of a cleanse, right? And... Uh, it's it's a, it's a challenge that's set up in a way that's really helpful. My wife and I did it about two years ago. It was awesome. And we're going to do it again probably now because I'm saying it to you guys right now. Um, so, Bethany, if you're out in the hallway, we're going to do it soon. Uh, <laughs> but what it is is it, it, it takes those different categories. And the goal is to do two of those things over the 40 days. And it's just, it, just set, it helps to set your mind on things above. And uh, there's beautiful things in there. One of the things is like watch all the extended edition of the Lord of the Rings. It's like, yes, that is beautiful art. I want to engage with that. I remember it was the first time I listened through the entirety of Handel's Messiah. And I was like, dude, this whole thing is beautiful. It ain't just the hallelujah thing. Wait, is that the right one? Handel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not just that. The whole album is amazing. Um, So anyway, yeah, there's great stuff. I really encourage you guys to look through it and jump into some of that. Get a group of you guys and go through it together. Uh, There's scriptures to memorize in there, and there's different methods that you can look up to do that as well. Let me finish here. Um, When we do these type of things, we're grounded in truer realities, right, in the heavenly realities. You begin to shed that eternity amnesia, and you can remember the beautiful and glorious inheritance that is kept for us. The thing is that God wants us to cultivate holy, sanctifying, good fruit-bearing habits with the media and the social internet. God desires us not to simply be caught in the tide of poisonous waters, throwing our hands up and saying, I guess this is how it works. No, he wants us to be mindful, to actively walk in the Spirit, to seek to outdo one another in showing honor, to have our love be so evident for one another that people see it and say, ah, I think the Father sent Jesus. Jesus loves these Christians, and he must love me too. That, is, <laughs> that can be the result of our unity in display. That's how Jesus prayed in John 17. And that's the type of power that the love of Christ has. And God wants us to exhibit that, to die to ourselves, not to believe the lie that we need to make names for ourselves. We can seek to honor others. We can trust each other and we can love each other deeper. So I'm going to end here with this. There's a book called Every Moment Holy. It's a beautiful book. Talk about the arts. This whole book is is very beautifully artistic. And uh, there's a liturgy that's there that is before consuming media. It's at the last page of your outline. And I'm going to read it, and then uh, we'll move to the next thing. It says this, O discerning spirit, who alone judges all things rightly, now be present in my mind and active in my imagination as I prepare to engage with the claims and questions of my culture, incarnated in the stories that people tell. Let me experience mediums of art and expression neither as a passive consumer nor as an entertainment glutton but rather as one who through such works would, be, would more fully and compassionately enter this ongoing human conversation of mystery and meaning wonder and beauty good and evil sorrow and joy fear and love all truth is your truth, O Lord and all beauty is your beauty therefore Use human expressions of celebration and longing as catalysts to draw my mind towards ever deeper insight. My imagination into new and wondering awe and my heartbeat into closer rhythm with your own. Shape my vision by your fixed precepts and tutor me, Holy Spirit, that I might learn to discern the difference between those stories that are whole, echoing the greater narrative of your redemption and those that are bent or broken, failing to trace accurately the patterns of your eternal thoughts, and so failing to name rightly the true condition of humanity and of all creation. Grant me wisdom to divide rightly, to separate form from content, craft from narrative, and meaning from emotion. Bless me with the great discernment to be able to celebrate the stamp of your divine image revealed in an excellence of craft and artistry, even while grieving a paucity of meaning and hope in the same work. Guard my mind against the old enticement to believe a lie simply because it is beautifully told. Let me not be careless. Give me right conviction to judge my own motives in that which I approve, teaching me to, always, to be always mindful of that which I consume and thoughtful of the ways in which I consume it. In part to me, keener knowledge of the limits of my own heart in light of my own particular brokenness that I might choose what would be for my flourishing and not for my harm. And give me grace to understand that what causes me to stumble might bear no ill consequence for another of your children. So that while I am to care for my brothers and sisters, I must also allow them, in matters of conscience, the, freedoms, the freedom to sometimes choose a thing your spirit convicts me to refrain from. Even so, let my own freedoms in Christ never be flaunted or exercised in such a way as to give cause for com- confusion, temptation, or stumbling in others. May the stories I partake of and the ways in which I engage with them make me in the end a more empathetic Christ-bearer, more compassionate, more aware of my own brokenness and need for grace, better able to understand the hopes and fears and failings of my fellow humans, so that I might more authentically live and learn and love among them unto the end that all of our many stories might somehow be more beautifully woven into your own greater story. Amen.
1: One of the things that I just want to thank JT for before we start asking some questions is, uh, is for keeping this, this, the address we got tonight, the message, the lecture, to keeping it so focused on how we are to reflect on Christ. And, uh, you know, the, the takeaway here is not rules-driven, It's not, uh, uh, you know, if if you love Jesus, you will do exactly this, 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 and this. But just to make sure that in all of our thinking and all of our action, he's first. And you held that out for us really well tonight. Uh, I just have a few questions, uh, and then we can kick it open for questions from uh, the audience. Uh, you had mentioned it was a really, I don't know if it was your sentence or not, but it's beautiful sentence. It's frightening. But if you are swimming in poison, the toxins will still get into your bloodstream. Uh, I just wondered if you could articulate a few of those that you might be most (laughs) concerned for.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I think the idea, yeah, it's, it's interesting. So I, I feel like the idea that, uh, The only way to, like, be on social media is to put things out there. And that the danger is, oh, people are out there fighting and doing these kind of things, but I'm not fighting and I'm not doing these things, so I'm okay. And I think, you know, people can have these profiles that they aren't, quote-unquote, active on, but they're still spending time scrolling through. They're still spending time soaking in that type of environment and those different kind of things. It's the whole idea of, you know... The more you spend time with someone, the more like that person you become. If we're spending time with the people on the social internet who are fighting and engaging in horrible, horrible things, uh, we are going to become like that person. Um, and so it's it's kind of some of that. You know, it's I, we can think that we're immune to the water or have different kind of gills that protect from the poisons. Like we don't, man. Like we are all humans, and if we are swimming in that water, it's going to get into our bloodstream, and we're going to think through it that help or is yeah. that just the same
2: yeah. thing? Okay. Sometimes I have conversations with someone where I'll just pause and say, "Can I ask like what news or podcast do you mm. listen to? Like what's your, you know, what's your intake?" because I have a hunch and <laughs> and uh it's often not surprising though they would say that not uh, you know, and often they won't go as far or be as bad as those voices, but the influence mm-hmm. is is absolutely there and it just illustrates that fact but, that what we take in we, has, uh, has an influence upon us.
1: Yeah. Good. Jared, can I ask you this question? Oh, that doesn't help in this context, no, does nope. it? If I say Jared. Um, uh, Jared Mellinger. Let me ask you this first. Uh, and it's, a, it's, it's somewhat of a social media question. It's also somewhat of a political question. But uh, when the pastors talk about this stuff, we tend to address concerns for political conservatism, more frequently than we do for, conserv- for political liberalism. And I just wonder if, if we, we can address, why do we do that? Yeah, I, d-
2: I do look to, well, so one of the things that, that Tim Keller, I'm taking a step back here, one of the things that Tim Keller has said when he talks about, he's basically ministering in a context where it's largely uh, rebellious younger brother types in terms of the prodigal son, the the younger son, the rebel. He says that he needs to hold out a picture of the older brother, moralism, uh, and and critique that. Otherwise, people will think that he's calling them to that when he calls them to Christianity. Mm. I take that same principle, and I will... It's... We look to critique... um, I don't know, the left, and it's... uh, uh, excesses and dangers but when I'm doing that I'm not so much that's not coming out of conversations that I'm having with people in the church who are uh, inclined in that direction it's more so that everyone knows because everything tends to be heard through a political lens and filter and so if we critique this people are inevitably thinking that we're promoting this and so um we do as pastors as we look at the church there's a number of reasons um for this i mean in terms of why we as a church would tend to uh lean Conservative. Uh, we say we're not, a, you know, a conservative church, but there are a number of issues that the cultural right cares about that are of great concern to us. We could say the same to the left in some ways, but there are uh, certain issues that make it such that, okay, yeah, that's going to be an issue that we, you know, that we care about. Um, I also think because we are theologically conservative, which is different than cultural conservatism, meaning our statement of faith and what we teach uh, is is not going to attract a lot of, um, of of theological progressives and all that that comes with that because we draw hard lines um, in those places. So it's a sort of interesting thing because while our culture is going uh, is going to be most vulnerable. Uh, of dangers from the left if you look at workplaces if you look at colleges if you look at institutions if you look at media bias and all of these things it is leaning hard to the left as the as the the danger us as a church I think the danger is different uh that we're that we are going to more clearly see those dangers and be more vulnerable elsewhere as we as we navigate these things so that informs the way that we speak to these things
0: I don't think so maybe one quick thing of just the wherever we're more vulnerable i think we should speak into and so i i think you know there's a lot of things that can feel really really right about social conservatism because some of their values really line up with values that are in the bible and um and that's okay but i think we can take that and then we can kind of neglect any caution or care you know jesus you know the pharisees really really knew their bibles and jesus was correcting them often uh and he was calling out certain things to the people who were really really doing things quote unquote that they thought were right and so i just think we it's helpful to just be careful that we don't accidentally fall into that you know thank god that i'm not like this other person and i think that kind of lines up with some of the ways we address it so
1: good good
2: if I can give just one example that came to mind. Each year in January, we tend to preach on the sanctity of human life, the unborn, and teach on matters of ethnic harmony. Our church is such that as I uh, preach from the pulpit, the sanctity of unborn life, preaching from an ethical perspective, you know, not a political perspective, I don't think I've ever heard any negative feedback or concerns or um, about those messages. When I speak on, on ethnic harmony and what the Bible teaches about ethnicity, I've heard some feedback on that and concerns about that and disagreement uh, with the Word of God there. I think that that just illustrates uh, something related to this this question of where we are as a congregation. Good.
1: Very good. Uh, Jared, I want you to ex- – sorry, JT. <laughs> can you expound on the statement you made where you said uh, – that courage has become a Trojan horse for carnality. Oh, yeah. Uh, How do you see the Christian presence on social media? Uh, And maybe just explain that to people who don't know what a Trojan horse is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you want, like, the illustration of the Trojan horse? and the Like, what is is a Trojan horse? Yeah, so it's like, okay, so uh, there was this battle. I don't remember where it was. You know, it's the old uh, mythology thing with Achilles and all his homies. Uh, they built this big gift that they brought into the city, and they're like, "Oh, thanks for this gigantic horse, Trojans!" And then the people dropped out. It was actually a trap. The horse was just a way to get into something. When really, what they wanted to do was take over the city. Beautiful. Okay, but you want me to talk about all this I stuff too? Talk yeah. About, okay. Yeah, good. Okay. How, how <laughs> that metaphor crosses over what we would say is
1: courage, yes. but really is carnality.
0: Yes. Okay. So, man, the, I think the way that kind of illustration came to me, what, or in my mind, was you know, we want to stand for truth. Amen? Yes. We want to speak against lies. And there's a way in which we can be passive and uh, hide some of our convictions so that the world enjoys us a little bit more. And so what we want to do is we want to be, we do want to be courageous Christians where we say, no, I'm going to stand on the word of God. This is what I believe. The gospel uh, informs this Way of thinking in this type of way, so I'm going to live this kind of way. What ends up happening is that courage, which is a good thing, gets mixed up with all of our motives because all of our motives are oftentimes mixed because we are sinful and we really, really need Jesus. And what ends up happening is what begins and can't even honestly and earnestly begin as courage ends up being a way that we can just be nasty and mean to people. And so instead of courage, it's more so I'm going to put this person in their place or I'm going to call out this person, I'm going to knock them out. When it's really our just carnality that is coming forward and we are, des- desiring the fl- uh, we are satisfying the desires of the flesh in the way that we are just attacking people while we're disguising it as courage. Courage is the Trojan horse. The reality is our fleshly anger and desires in that way.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the ways it, what what struck me when JT said that is one of the th- one of the phrases we might hide behind uh, is you know I'm just I I'm, I'm a truth teller. Yeah, yeah. I've just got I've got to put the truth out there and, and it's got to be clear. And and we w- what we leave off is speaking the truth in love. What we leave off is, is, yes, the thing objectively analyzed, you may be saying, may be accurate. But there is no aroma of Christ in that. There is no character of Christ in that. We need to learn, observe how Jesus speaks to the culture around him. We can often speak with a tone that he took with the Pharisees. But how does he speak to the world around him? There is a, a compassion and a patience and a tenderness that he brings that doesn 't sacrifice truth, but actually it, it, it 's associated with the love of God mm-hmm. that we can lose in this courage yeah. trojan horse
0: and one quick thing on that is that a lot of times people say, "Well, Jesus was flipping tables and it 's like he was also sinless <laughs> like that's that 's a big deal like we are not sinless people, and it 's like we have like if, we, if I flip a ta- table, it's going to be the anger of man, which does not produce the righteousness of God. So I think that's just another thought.
1: Right. And it's, it's remembering he wasn't going into pagan places of worship to flip tables. <laughs> right. So he wasn't taking on lost people <laughs> and saying, be more saved. <laughs> he was going into his his house of prayer. Yes. And he was cleansing that. <laughs> Alright, I have one last question before we kick it open, yep. guys. Uh, so much of I'm gonna put this down. So much of what JT said really could apply to Christians broadly. I just wonder if you carry any particular specific burdens for our church as it relates to media and social media. That might, you know, might be a step beyond yep. where the message might have gone.
0: Yeah, any concerns for our particular congregation? I, um, yes, I, I would really want our church to be extra mindful of information we're taking in, even outside of social media, just where we're getting our thoughts, and ideas from. Because, I, I, you know, I think of the image of the wisdom period, pyramid. And podcasts go at the top of that. That's a little triangle. And I think our people consume so many podcasts um, that kind of— I, and I'm not saying that, like, you know, don't listen to stuff that ain't from us. But if you were listening to podcasts 8 to 10 hours a week, and that's a low number from what I would assess, and our sermons are 35 minutes on a Sunday morning— Over time, who is speaking into your life the most? Some dude in Montana? Some dude out in California? Or your pastors who are with you and love you and care for you? Um, I would just want us to be mindful of that.
2: Overall, I am uh, greatly encouraged by the church's Use of social media and Mm -hmm. engagement of social media. And one of the things that encourages me most is uh, how minimal church engagement (laughs) on social media is. Um, You know, and we just, I'm so grateful that we don't have. Too many members who are just out there doing things that are like, ah, oh, that's you know, that's uh, no good. And so, um, I do believe that that uh, the church is you know is to be commended. I do think that uh, I carry a burden for for the next generation and for how parents think about uh, you know parenting and their children uh, in in uh, in these things. And I just I think that increasingly the path of wisdom. And faithfulness may not only be countercultural, but counter Christian culture, in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and the I, I, I carry a desire that, that parents um, use biblical wisdom and how in the, how they engage their kids uh, on these things, in terms of what what uh, guidelines and rules they have in place, what they allow, um, uh, all of those kinds of kinds of things.
1: All right, so there was one question I skipped. I know I said that was the last one, but you just prompted it, so I'm going to do it. Uh, you were talking about parents using biblical wisdom on what All they right. allow. Think of the young people that are here yeah. or might be listening who are not allowed to have TikTok or things the rest of their friends at school may be using. What what words might you share with them on uh, on their hunger for those things, on their... Uh, desire to have what their parents are saying no to? Uh, How might you encourage or direct the young people that are here?
2: Whenever we get into this area, and whenever so the way that I'm talking about this area, um, I always wanna lay down that that mature, godly Christian families will will approach these things differently. So we're in the realm of wisdom, not the realm of, of law. And I actually think it's really important in our use of social media there can be a real tendency to judge other people who are more active or less active than, you know, than we are. And you can see that among, you know, kids. So I'm, I want you to know I'm not bringing a perspective of, oh, if, if your kid is this old and he has a phone, then you're wrong. Or if he has, you know, <laughs> if he's on these social media. I'm just, I'm not going to make those kinds of, of rules that for, for others. There is an important category of house rules that parents should have. It's different from God's rules. And we explain this to, you know, our kids. So it's not a sin to do this. But as we consider, is this best? Is this wisest? And and on these things, I, I think it's good for parents to seek counsel uh, from others. What I want to say to young people is that the path to flourishing, the path to a meaningful life is not going to be found through anything that you're doing on your phone. <laughs> it's just not where it's at. So if you really want, this you know app or really one it's just it's not that important um don't don't make the mistake of thinking this is where true relationship and friendship is and if I'm not here then I'm not, no no that's that's not deepest most meaningful relationship and and friendship it's it's not the path of flourishing and it's And I would want to understand, I I mean, all the things that JT said about the negative effects that social media uh, can have on others, I would want people to understand. And aside from that, the great waste of time that it can be. So I I would want every person and young people to understand time is such a gift. You have one life to live well. And in the same way that we are given gifts that we are to steward and money that we are to steward – Time is something that we are to steward. Paul in Ephesians 5 talks about uh, redeeming the time, making the most use of of our time. And John Piper has this line where he says that one of the great uses of, of Twitter and Facebook will be on the last day to, to prove that our prayerlessness was not due to a lack of time. Oh, no. uh, it just, you know, we, we have time. <laughs> We, and, and, and few things reveal that more than, than our screen time yeah. uh, and so so re- redeem the time think of how to use time wisely and for the glory of God and that category in and of itself I think will steer your desires toward, toward better things
0: can I do one quick thing on that yeah. uh, another thing young people you can do is uh, talk to some young adults not about your parents decision but just ask them how their experience on social media is and if it's as if it's all it's cracked up to be.
2: I would also want young people to know <laughs> that if you feel like your parents are, are, are too strict in these things and they are cruel, you can thank God that I'm not your dad. <laughs> because, and, so, and some of my kids are here. Um, but it is, uh, I, I, real, I recognize and realize just that I, like on a scale, I'm coming from way over here on on uh a good number of of these things, and you can interact with my kids about you know about that, and some of them if left to themselves may you know desire certain social media uh platforms to have but they they have been wonderful and and uh godly in uh you know in uh following the lead that that their mother and I are bringing in that
1: good right here in front of you all, I want you to know you've ex- you've observed the very first time i've ever considered. Thanking God that Jared is not my dad. <laughs> it, it never occurred to me, but there's gratitude. It's organic. <laughs> okay, do you guys do you guys have questions? Yeah, Will. me repeat it first and then you can answer yeah yeah. Yeah. so just for the recording Uh, the question is uh referencing jt's uh, phrase that the internet and social media is a discipleship force and the question is just looking for clarity on a definition of what Mm -hmm. you mean by that
0: yeah so um let's see quick example i'll just say this so i don't have tiktok but tiktok has these like Different rabbit holes of different things, and they just call it like blah 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 TikTok or this kind of TikTok. And so, there's a whole thing called deconstruction TikTok, and the whole purpose of it is to sow seeds of doubt into people as they're wrestling with things. And then you can go through and deeper and deeper and deeper because there's these little 15 second clips, or I don't know how long it is a minute, but essentially, you can there's like a discipleship track on TikTok that takes you through the path of deconstruction and eventually ends up with a lot of people leaving the faith. Oh, because this person over here taught me to doubt all these things in the Bible and to question my parents more and more and more, and it leads me to this kind of thing. That's a pretty extreme example, but I think there's other ways where like, you know, influencers, right? That's a whole social media thing. What does an influencer do? They influence people. And what does influence? It's discipling people and taking the, and teaching them how to live their lives in a certain way. Um, you want to be discipled on health and fitness? There's a whole health and fitness group out there that does certain kind of things. And, you know, there, there's more and more teens now are hopping on uh, performance-enhancing drugs and HDH and TRT, testosterone replacement therapy, uh, because they're seeing these, these fitness icons uh, through, social, through the social internet and are telling the people how to get these dosage, dosages right and different kind of things. And that's another form of discipleship. I think there's so many avenues and specifics on um, topics on the internet that you can just keep going, 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 going. And the more information you get, the more it shapes you. Is that helpful? Somewhat?
1: <laughs> it, it, it speaks back to the, uh, the, the wisdom pyramid. Mm-hmm. Those are, if you think of each level as voices of discipleship the 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 loudest voice the biggest seat at the table ought to be the word of god and then the church and then you go up there to where this discipleship force that is the loudest voice in our culture Mm -hmm. should be the smallest voice in our world in in the christian life and so if you see what shapes the culture it's taking that itty bitty thing down the bottom and fill in the whole up the top fill in the whole bottom with it yeah and this ought not be for the Christian life. That's right. Thanks. Someone else. So the, the question is about time management, time boxing. You only allow certain amounts of time for certain behaviors or practices. Ultimately, the question got to do you actually find a place of equilibrium or, you know, what do you do with these balancing your life through that, that time management? Do you feel equalized?
0: <laughs> um No. I don't feel equalized. I do think, you know, the idea of stacking up habits or doing different ideas of wisdom regarding time blocks, if there's enough of them in place, I think it can help you steward your time better. Like, I don't think I want to get to the place where I'm just like, man, I am just nailing this. I am just praying and reading, and I haven't looked at my email in a year. Um, you know, I don't think we want to get, that, get to that place. But, you know, I think the more you whittle it down, you, you start to see the benefits of it. And what, it's crazy what happens is as you start to see the benefits, you immediately start trying to find excuses to get that time with the social Internet back. And so my, I, I had a practice a few years ago that was, or maybe last year or something, that was I would take uh, one day a week, and just delete all my social media apps, and um, I would get rid of them on that day. And it was really helpful. And, um, you know, then I'd re-download it later and be like, okay, yeah, we're back at it. And then it was just like, man, I should probably reverse that. And so now I only use social media once a week. And it's really helpful. But I have to be careful on that day to, like, try not to, like, let me make up, all the time from this week because we like because that's that you know, then I would be equilibrium and it's not like super great. But I think um I don't think you ever really get to the place of like, ah, I'm nailing it. I think it's something that you can always revisit and question and find different times time blocks that work to, you know, help you with your roles. So like I'm a husband, father, pastor, do my habits help me do those things? As good as God is, like as in a way where I'm thinking, yeah, God's pleased with the way I'm stewarding this time.
1: Yeah, time management for me, I I, it's, I I've always had a love hate relationship with my lawn. Just so, oh. so you know that, time management for me is always that. As soon as your lawn is exactly the way you want it, it starts to work against you. <laughs> like it starts persecuting you for the next mow. Right? It may take a week to really get at you, but it's working. Right. But, balancing your time sorry that's more confession than helpful (laughs) time management is not something you nail and you're good as soon as it feels right it starts working against you right and so the blocks of time are are actually they're helpful at reducing what could be unhelpful things but maybe they're most helpful by reducing those things by making time for very important things You make time for the Word. You make time for family. You make time for rest, whether it's physical rest or brain rest. You make time for that by limiting your time on social media. Uh, Ken, and then in the back, yes. Yes. So the question is, with the pastors who are on the social media apps, if we see something on there posted by a church member that's inappropriate, I'll just ask the question as it is, and then we can clear up the answer. Um, uh, Is that something we would engage with church discipline? That's the question that was asked. Why don't you go first?
2: Yeah, in… in Matthew 18, the beginning of, uh, you know, seeing your brother in sin, go to him. Uh, so it's it, it, that understanding of church discipline largely conceived that begins with sharing a concern or correction with a brother. Um, different than sort of a formal church discipline, you know, process. But uh, absolutely. And I think it's one of the ways that we can care for each other as a, uh, as a, as a church. And I would hope that others would do the same uh, for me whatever we are posting on social media and whatever we are liking and whoever we're following, all of that is public. We're, we're acting publicly in those ways, and so we need to use great care in that. And um, where there is a... Where it's someone who is a member and where we have a, a, uh, a relationship, you know, uh, that would be something that, that uh, a pastor who... I mean, so it's been my practice that if I see... Uh, something that would be of you know of concern um, to ask that person to go with questions and to ask uh, about that but that 's been something that I and other pastors have done uh, on on numerous occasions um, yeah and it, then it would o- it would only be if if it was egregious and if those things persisted that there mm. would that it would lead to a because the church discipline. Process formally has in view. If there's not repentance, they would eventually be removed from the church and treated as an unbeliever. So, in order for it to escalate in that way, we would need to be persuaded that what they're doing is is inconsistent with uh, for a follower of Christ to do, and would need to be having a significant, uh, divisive or slanderous, uh, you know, effect. Uh, but there are absolutely, I mean, there are, some, there are some Christians broadly who, um, not in our church, but who <laughs> conduct themselves ways publicly in terms of tearing down churches and denominations <laughs> and leaders that, I, that there's a pastoral failure there somewhere because yeah. if that individual were in our church, there would be steps taken yeah. that would not allow that kind of conduct
1: uh, to, to happen. I had said back here and then I know there's a couple questions in the younger section back there I'll cut to yes Yeah, well, thanks for sharing that. Let me just summarize that, hopefully fairly, Uh, that uh, we could talk about these methods and these disciplines to build into our lives. Uh, but that's, that's largely summarized in living in the power of the Holy Spirit and being consumed with what God calls us to. Mm-hmm. And if we live a life fully consumed in that way, we won't have time for the things that would draw us away from God. I hope that's a fair brief summary of what was shared. Uh, one of the helpful things, I would just say yes and amen. And for many people, the next question is, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And that's where some of these things come into play. But they all do tie back to a spirit-filled, cross-centered way of living. All right, there were a couple questions in the back. Uh, You're going to have to stand. Is that Liz? All right, yeah.
3: Don't recognize my own kid. (laughs)
1: I answer this daily.
2: Why you
0: guys... <laughs> oh, well, first, I want to encourage you on your
1: practice and say it sounds like you have a great dad. And,
0: uh, <laughs> love oh, yeah,
3: i got to repeat much. the question.
1: The question is, is, what's the best way to deal with fantastic parenting? <laughs> <Stop>. That's another... <laughs> The, the, the question was, as, as a rising high schooler coming from eighth grade into high school, uh, knowing most people there will have access to social media and and this person's household doesn't permit her at this point to have it, how can she deal with the mocking or the ostr- ostracizing or even feeling just alienated from that whole, th- from the thing everybody else is talking about?
0: I can jump in. You can jump in. Yeah. I, I think... <laughs> I think the best way to interact with that type of thing is to like, I'm all about keeping it kind of funky and leaning into some of the weirdness that comes with our faith. Like we're gonna be a little funky. Like there's gonna be things we do and decisions we make that just don't make sense to the world. And I'm not saying that like, you know, no social media is always the way to go. But there's going to be things that you experience in your life that your friends will be longing for as they're searching through it on social media that they will not get. And I think something you can do is just be proactive in creating community in real life. And... Uh, that way, it doesn't matter if your friends are on social media and they're connecting online. They're hanging out at your house. Oh, well, I, mean, I don't mean to invite. Oh, no, no, they they can, yeah, yeah, they can come <laughs> over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're hanging out at your house every single day, all the time. No, just kidding. But, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're with them, you're engaging with them. And, uh, you know, there's going to be moments where, you know, maybe it'll start as, mo- start, start as mockery. I'll pray that it doesn't, um, but there's going to be moments where you can really help those around you to stay present, because most people who are on social media or they're new to social media and they start like, oh, this is so exciting, this is all great, and they realize, later, oh, no, I'm wasting all my time, you can really help them get their eyes off their screen and look around at the beauty around them, so you can, like, that's one way, rather than seeing it as, a, <laughs> you know, as, I'm not saying it's are seeing it as persecution, But rather than seeing it as like a negative thing, see it as, oh, I can help these people lift their eyes and enjoy one another the way that they're desiring to through social media, but do it in real life.
2: I think increasingly as well, we we all sort of know that that phones and social media can be such a tremendous waste of time and such a distraction. Like even those of us even even teenagers who are active, you know, whoever, just we, we know that it's not a, it's not a, an unpopular uh, perspective that there's a lot of time that's wasted on <laughs> social media and that it can provide you know uh, endless distractions. And so I think I really do think there's something to framing po- not just thinking in terms of what is being prohibited, but what is it that you know. So the idea of I I value. Uh, face-to-face interactions and relationships and genuine friendship more than you know social media uh, interaction and where I've seen people have the deepest and most meaningful friendships it doesn't come through social media but through time together and enjoying each other's you know company that's so you're holding out something positive not just uh, something that is prohibited
1: so I've never used the phrase before, but I've just learned it. the funkiness <laughs> of, of the Christian life. Um, as you go into high school, and this is to all y'all who are, who are in the, like, that stage, you're, you, you may feel like, I'm the only one because that doesn't have social media. Yeah, you will likely be among the only ones that aren't regularly cursing if you're walking with Christ. Mm-hmm. You'll likely be among the only ones not involved in immoral relationships if you're walking with Christ, you'll be among the only ones who believe heterosexuality is God's will. Mm -hmm. So, so that there are just things about walking with Jesus that make you unlike the lost people around you. Mm -hmm. And at some point, whether it's at 13, 23 or 53, we've got to embrace that fact and be, be pleased to be identified with Jesus rather than identified with the world. Oh look it's a flood party. Good. <laughs> Gina. appreciate hearing
3: your
0: thoughts
1: on the social platforms gaming and Yeah, there's miles miles on that question. Um so <laughs> Uh, The question is, we've talked about social media, this kind of interaction, just a few words on video game platforms, VR, Discord, things along those lines.
2: I'm not going to speak to this because I don't even know what we're talking about. I'm <laughs> <laughs> serious. I'm sorry. I should know more than I do about the world I Be live in, engaged, but I don't, man. I don't even know what we are talking about right now. Could so. maybe I go first?
1: Could I, can I go first? Yes, you Dis- can, yes. Discord is in the news this week. Are you tracking that? Oh, I didn't see that. No, Uh-oh. it's big time in the news. Are you tracking that 21-year-old airman? Who released cl- uh, classified documents in his video game group on Discord to show off what, ha- what what he had access to? Oh. Okay, I, he is in big big trouble. Oh, no. I mean, I watched his, the video of his arrest. It was it's quite something. I I. I it's of particular interest to me, I have a 23-year-old airman who is pursuing security clearance who is on Discord a lot. So I, I'm, I'm tracking this story, and it's not my son, by the way. I'm just, I, you know. um, but these, th- there are communities, entire friend groups that, that are built on these interactive uh, gaming platforms. Discord is just one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, that have a degree of camaraderie a degree of commonality, a common focus, even if it's, you know, just dealing with this video game, that uh, that are not whole interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. And so one of the great challenges with these platforms, uh, it, it, you see it in social media as well, is you're cultivating a persona. You can be the person you want to be because the only way they interact with you is on this game through this platform. Yeah. And so so you can puff yourself up. You can hide the bad parts of you or amplify, whether it's true or not, the good parts of you. There's all this posturing that can go on, even in these contexts. They're not inherently wicked, but there, there, there is real temptation and danger in these kinds of platforms that interpersonal, in-person, 3D relationships can often be a protection for. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've talked often about, in our home, I mean, about how... Yes, you have friends through Discord, but those types of friendships are starkly different mm. from friendships in person. <laughs> Let's not confuse the two. All right, go ahead, JT.
0: Yeah, I would just say a couple things. Realize that the gaming world has completely changed over the last two decades or so. And the era of the casual gamer, like, hey, i like to do this a little bit, is, it's not dead, but it's not really what's being projected out there. So this is for some parents, just information as well. Like a lot of times games have goals of like, oh, here's a selling point for this game. In order to completely beat it, you got to spend 150 hours doing everything. And they're like, oh man, this has 150 hours of of content to conquer. Let's do that. That is a gigantic waste of time. And, um, but it's a fun waste of time, but we have to be mindful and careful of it. And so I think in the, the same warnings I gave about social media, lean into gaming as well because what happens is you get these falsified communities through Discord or Twitch streaming or different things like that where people are either just watching each other play video games or doing it together online and feeling like that's camaraderie. And I would warn you guys, if the most attractive thing about these gaming communities is the ease of friendship and the way that you don't have to deal with the hard stuff of real life, in-flesh Communication and friendship and love. I would just be careful about how much time you're spending on that and why you're leaning into that. If you're thinking, "Man, I don't feel like I have any friends in my community. I don't feel like anybody knows me," but the people on Discord, man, those guys are really great. I would say that's, there's there's caution that needs to be addressed there and be like, "Okay, why am I leaning into these online communities more?" A lot of it is because it's way easier to have these communities online because you're not doing life with each other. You're not sinning in front of each other and then seeing each other next Sunday and having to reconcile. Yeah. that That's where the hard work, where deeper friendships go. So I just caution in that. Good.
1: Good. I want to pull us to a close. Maybe there's one more question. Yes. I, I saw your hand up earlier. I was hoping you'd shoot it up again.
3: Getting up and walking away from it, if that might be their slot of the world's the masses only.
1: It's a a great question, and it's probably a great question to end on, right? Uh, So uh, if we're talking about minimizing our screen time, uh, making it the very tiny top of the pyramid, uh, we can see the benefits for our own selves in that. But if the world is on social media, ought there not be a purposeful Christian presence there to help reach the world since this is where the world is communing? And I'll put that in quotes, but this is where the world is communing. Let's go ahead and speak to that.
0: Go ahead, Jared. Okay. Yeah, that's a, it's a really, really good question. And I think one thing we need to remember is that uh, the Internet is new. Like, it's relatively new. Social media is even newer. And we're all figuring this kind of out in real time. And um, also, if you're going with the pyramid, you know, the whole dietary thought you know, sometimes you indulge on an entire chocolate cake and you cannot throw away the whole diet effort and be like, well, I ate all this chocolate cake. I guess I'm just going to eat a chocolate cake all the time. There's going to be times where we try to engage and it doesn't go well. And we have to remember grace comes and it's like, okay, let's readjust and readapt and figure out a better way forward. I do think even though it does seem to be the wave of the future, I don't know if everyone is going to say that's the best way. Like even like from a, a secular perspective. I don't think they're, th- they're thinking the way we're going with, the social, with social media and the internet is really good. And so um, I guess and I'm here. Let me just summarize this this way. I wrestle that question every day. I, and I think we can adjust and see what works and see what's helpful and see what's not. Some people are going to be able to be more active and have a bigger social media presence and not be sucked into all the craziness. Other people are going to need to really restrict themselves Because they will be drawn immediately into the comment sections. They can be drawn immediately into fights and quarrels and dissensions and envy. But if you're not, I think that's a grace given by God to be able to have a bit more of a presence that's helpful. Um, I'm actually right now, actually, as I was writing this teaching, I was like, should I have a bit more of a presence on Twitter Uh, once a week? doesn't seem like it's making that much of a splash and it kind of doesn't seem worth it. I want to work on writing and convincing things a little bit more. So it's like, is a way to use it on my laptop without actually engaging things? Can I do that without looking for those little blue circles of interactions? I'm not sure. Um, but it's something that you have to constantly uh, work through, know yourself, ask other people, get wisdom from others, and then kind of engage for it in that way. That's such a non-answer.
1: I'm so sorry. You're deciding whether you're going to say something. Do you want to say something? Yeah.
2: Oh, I was just. I think the direction that you're headed on social media is a good one. I just <laughs> your... He don't want no more tweets. <laughs> <laughs> I, I. It's it's one thing. Actually, I love to a man on the team. Yeah. There's a certain degree of of, uh, of pessimism. I think it's, it's it's an insight related to the impact that we can have on yeah. social media, because there's things about that very platform that. So it would be a totally different thing. If I was seen, and I do see a good number of people come to Christ. I see a number of lives <laughs> yeah, change. Yeah. And if that was happening, through, like how did you come to the Lord? Well, someone posted that Jesus is the Son of God, and I said, no, he's not. And they said, yes, he is, and then we <laughs> argued, and then I came to or whatever. It's like, oh, okay, wow, that's, that's working. <laughs> you know, like the, the social media debates are working. I just, I, I don't see it. And, and
3: one of the challenges
2: is that there's a, a, it creates a, a witness that is disjointed from relationship and from the, the life of the, the church. Yeah. And so that inevitably is going to be a very limited uh, witness. There there can be good there, and I encourage Christians to share truth, and I am on uh, Facebook and on Twitter and will at times share true things there. But I don't do so expecting that I'm going to bring someone to Christ through that, and I think it would be far more effective for me to so, – To invite invite someone over for dinner, Mm -hmm. uh, to spend time with someone, to invite someone to church. In other words, to maintain the relationships that are a part of of Christian witness and the way that God made us to be. So I do think that these times, that there's a really unique and even glorious opportunity for the church because... People in our world are becoming more isolated than ever. They are spending more time alone than ever. They are connected to screens more than ever. The church is fundamentally a relational, Mm -hmm. (laughs) flesh-and-blood community. And I just feel like we, we as a church are able to offer... People something that they're made for that they don't even know, and that is a community, a place to belong, a place where real relationships can happen and where we really enjoy getting to know each other and all our strengths and, and weaknesses. And um, so I would say, is there an opportunity? Yes, uh, but it's going to be limited in terms of, okay, let's engage, uh, let's increase our social media engagement. I would say in light of that, let's increase our uh, you know, our our relational pursuit of un- unbelievers and see what God does.
0: Can I share uh, a line I cut from the teaching? Yes, you can. R- okay. So it was when I was talking about, you know, the Internet's going to influence you more than you influence it. It influence it. And the illustration that came to mind is like, you know, a lot, like our influence on the Internet is like throwing stones into an ocean. And, you know, if a lot of us throw some boulders, even boulders, like, we can throw these boulders into the ocean, but that ocean's still gonna be an ocean. Like, it's not gonna turn into a desert. And so the internet is big, and there's very, very little influence we can actually have over a long period of time, but you can still throw some pebbles in. It's it felt too pessimistic to say, but after that, I feel like I can say it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually
1: how social media works. It's not designed to take small voices and scatter them throughout everybody's social feed. They, it, the algorithms are never going to get—Rob Flood's posts are never going to get out into all the pagan social feeds mm. for them to seriously consider. It, it's designed for our, our circles of communication to be very closed. Uh, and and so, so it's much more effective to knock on the door of a neighbor, like Jared was saying, than it is to, to post. It that doesn't mean we shouldn't, but we need to stop way short of calling all Christians to take to social media. Uh, just because of the, the ineffectiveness of it for evangelism and for, for, the, for the purpose that we would want to succeed there. Uh, guys, thank you for coming uh we do have one more uh renewing your mind this season uh i'm planning 23 24 now but mark prater on i think it's may 21 is going to be speaking on uh the issue of abuse and uh, we'll have a panel it'll be uh jared myself andy and mark will be on that panel and so please consider Coming back uh, to join us for that. Thank you for making time for this. Yes. Are the panels going to be included in the recording? Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. Sorry, didn't that's hear. okay. Michael couldn't be here tonight. So yeah. Just, it'll it'll be posted in a few days. These things always take a few extra days to get posted, uh, but the, the the panels are in there. Uh, why don't you close us in prayer? Would you? Oh, yes,
2: yes. Father, you have given us uh, not a spirit of fear but a spirit of power and love and self-control and we thank you for your uh, work in our lives uh, that you have not only saved and rescued us but that you have called us to live for your glory and to shine as stars in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation Uh, I ask that you would equip us as a church to that end Lord grant us wisdom that we might honor you in all that we do and say Uh, may we be increasingly a church that is marked by the love that you have shown us and, uh, and a church that engages the world around us in ways that are uh, wise and faithful and that have an impact for your glory you lord you know our desire is to have an impact for your glory on the lives of others and so empower our witness to be effective uh, we pray for the the younger generation of the church a generation that is uh, living with with distinct challenges that they are confronting that earlier generations have not faced in those same ways. Lord, would you grant them wisdom and would you uh, save each one of the young uh, people who are raised in this church and, and enable them to live for your glory that we might be a witness to you from generation to generation. We pray all this in Jesus' name.